Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the third of our Epiphany series, The Practices of Jesus, Confrontation, by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. I'll be reading verses 15 through 20. We're continuing our sermon series on the practices of Jesus. It's our contention, and and I think this is a a fairly clear contention, that it is our practices, it is our habits, the things we do every day, things we do every week, the things that we do every year that make us who we are. And so we're looking at the practices and the habits of Jesus and see what we can learn from them in terms of our own formation. And today we will see that Jesus is teaching us the practice of confrontation. Jesus says, If your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established between the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, There am I with them. This is the word of the Lord. So like most ministers, I've done my fair share of weddings over the years. And uh, when I do weddings, about 95% of the time, I do the premarital counseling. I sit down with the couple and I talk about good practices of good Christian marriage. And part of that counseling program, it usually goes about three or four sessions, is an important part uh, where I talk about conflict, how you do conflict. And so I will usually ask the couple, so how do you guys fight? How do you do disagreement? What's the dynamic of your disagreement? And sometimes, a few times, only a handful of times, when I ask that question, the couple looks back at me and says, oh, we never fight. We haven't had a disagreement. We're just so happy together. Sometimes they clasp hands and beam at each other while they answer the question. Okay. Now put yourself in my position as a counselor or just pretend you're a friend listening to that. If you heard that in a counseling session, would you be more or less concerned? Would this be a cause for rejoicing? Could I just skip all the conflict stuff because this couple is obviously so advanced? Or is this a red flag? I can tell by your reactions that you agree with me that this is a cause for concern. This is a red flag. If if a couple meets me and they say they've never had any conflict at all, our sense of the matter is that um, this relationship isn't mature and probably one or another of the, of, of the members of this couple aren't being honest with each other, aren't telling each other the whole truth. 
Of course, conflict is a bad thing. Of course, too much conflict causes much misery. But in a broken world, conflict is inevitable. And conflict-free relationships are a sign probably of immaturity and lack of growth. And this isn't just true in marriages. This is true in all kinds of relationships. This is true in friendships. This is true in colleague relationships. This is true in business. This is true in churches. If you go to a church and the church says to you, oh, this church is so peaceful, we never fight. We haven't had a nay vote in council in 10 years. That's not necessarily a good sign, okay? That's a sign that the church is comfortable, but probably not growing. As Christians, Jesus calls us to walk the road of sanctification, and in a broken world, walking the road of sanctification together means challenging each other, lifting each other up, helping each other down the road. And helping each other down the road once in a while means conflict, confrontation. And that's clearly what Jesus is teaching us in our passage. And he's not only teaching it, this is something Jesus modeled. Confrontation was a practice of Jesus. I read through the Gospel of Matthew this week just with an eye on confrontation and probably not to your surprise at all, uh, Jesus did lots of it. And he confronted all kinds of people on all kinds of occasions. Sometimes his confrontation and conflict was initiated by other people, but there are lots of times where Jesus starts it. Jesus initiates the conflict. And it goes, as I said, with, with all sorts of people in his life. His preaching ministry starts out with confrontation. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near, his very first sermon. Jesus confronts his disciples. O ye of little faith, why are you always afraid? He says more than once. Jesus confronts his family. Your mothers and your brothers are here to see you. Who are my mothers and my brothers? My mothers and my brothers are those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus confronts the people in his hometown region. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. It's not going to go well to you on Judgment Day. And of course, Jesus often confronts the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the bowl, you leave the inside dirty. He confronts them over and over again. So Jesus confronts many, many times. It's his practice, and he does it in all sorts of spheres of his life. And in one place, he even characterizes his whole ministry as confrontational. Do not think that I've come to this world to bring peace. No, I've come to bring a sword. Jesus practices confrontation. And in a sinful world, good, healthy confrontation is part of a healthy church and a healthy Christian life. And I want to talk about how to do it and what Jesus teaches us about it here. Before I do it, I want to put this confrontational passage in its context. So it's obviously true that Jesus confronts a lot. I hope I've made that clear. But if you look at his confrontation, you'll notice that he confronts different people in different ways. Jesus tends to be the most confrontational with people who are closest to him and the people who should know better, right? So the disciples close to him and the Pharisees because they're supposed to be religious experts. 
but with really broken people or to outsiders, Jesus could be remarkably non-judgmental and tolerant and slow to confront. In addition to that, we also have to recognize that even though in this passage he specifically calls us to confrontation, there are other passages where he seems, he seems to say exactly the opposite, right? Judge not lest you be judged. Before you try to take the speck out of your brother and sister's eye, take the plank out of your own eye. You got to hold those, this passage, our passage, and that passage in tension. Confrontation is complicated. Healthy Christian churches and healthy Christian people confront each other. But healthy Christian churches and healthy Christian people don't always confront each other. And wisdom is learning when to speak and when to be silent. Having established that, when it becomes time to speak, when we know it's time to confront the people that we love, the people around us, what does Jesus teach us about healthy Christian confrontation? I want to talk about three things today, predictably three things. I want to talk about the foundation of good conflict. I want to talk about the aim of good Christian conflict. And I want to talk about person in conflict. Who are we? What is our sense of ourself when we enter into conflict? First, the foundation of good conflict. For Jesus in this passage, all confrontation, all Christian confrontation is family confrontation. When your brother or your sister sins against you, go and show him or her his fault. Brother or sister, those words are really important. It's a family relationship. The confrontation that Jesus is talking about comes out of a sense of family. And family confrontation is different. Who is it in your life who will tell you the truth about yourself. It is your family. Adult children are particularly bad here. You raise them up, you change your diapers, you feed them, you take them on nice vacations, you pay for their education. And what do they do? Those ungrateful children, they tell you the truth about yourself. Dad, do you realize how worked up you get when you drive? Dad, your breath is terrible. Please, get a mint. Dad, don't you ever, ever sing from the pulpit again. <laughs> These are purely hypothetical examples. Adult children do these things to you. Adult children will say these things to you. They will tell you the truth. And the closer your relationship, the better your relationship, the more likely they are to talk like that to you. If your relationship is worse, if they're strained, they will probably not say anything. Or if they say something, it will be meant to hurt you. They say these things to you because they trust you and love you. Their confrontation comes out of that foundation of family trust and love. And when confrontation comes out of that foundation of family trust in love, it is productive. It has a chance to change you. When confrontational words are spoken with no trust and no love and no sense that the other person trusts me, confrontation will probably cause a fight or cause alienation. 
This is one of the reasons that we at LaGrave and the staff and, and the leaders of LaGrave always talk about the family of LaGrave Church, the family of LaGrave Church. And even though we're a really big church, we try to say, let's be a family together. Because it's only when we're a family together that some of these Christian virtues can actually take place. If we have a sense that we are a family, if I sense that you're a family and we love and trust each other, then I can stand up here and I can preach a sermon that is confrontational, that tells you what you need to hear, tells you what the gospel calls me to tell you, which I'm obviously called to do. But if it's not a family relationship, if it's a, oh, a customer relationship, I'm the vendor and you're the consumer, then I'm much more likely just to tell you what you want to hear, which might be good for business, but it's bad for sanctification. Good Christian confrontation assumes and takes place on the foundation of trust and love, brother and sister. That's the foundation. What's the goal? What's the aim? Jesus tells us that too. If your brother or sister listen to you, you will have won them over. Your goal in confrontation is to win them over. That is to say, your goal is to strengthen the community between you and deepen your love for one another. And maybe that sounds obvious, but I'll tell you another thing that's obvious. When you are actually in conflict and when you're actually doing confrontation, most of the time, that's not our goal. Be honest with yourself. When you're confronting someone, how often are you thinking, I would like to restore this person into fellowship with me and deepen my relationship with this person? Most of the time when we're in conflict with someone, we're thinking about winning the argument. We're thinking about getting our way. We're thinking about protecting our ego. The ultimate example of this is something we all do in arguments sometimes, the zinger. The zinger is the top example of bad confrontation. I'm in a conflict with you and I say something like, Oh, will you please stop your whining? I am so sick of your whining. You got more wine than Napa Valley. Am I confronting you? Yeah. Am I telling you the truth about yourself? Maybe something you need to work on? Quite possibly. But I'm doing it in a way which is completely unhelpful. My goal in that is not to restore you and to bring you into fellowship with me. My goal is to knock you on your heels, to put you in emotional retreat, to win the argument. The confrontation that Jesus describes has a totally different aim. First of all, you'll notice that it takes place in an unheated environment. When Jesus says, go to your brother and sister, it's pretty clearly after the fact. You don't go in the middle of the heat of battle. You go when things are quiet, after things have settled down, and then you talk about it. And your goal in that conversation is to restore community, to win the person over. Foundation of love, goal of winning the person back, now the person in conflict. Who does Jesus suggest that we are? What does Jesus think that our sense of self should be when we enter into conflict? Well, what about that? Does Jesus think that when we enter a conflict, we should see ourselves as an aggrieved victim and have at the center of ourselves that terrible thing that that person did to me? 
Does Jesus see us in conflict when we confront someone? Are we righteous crusaders who are eager to stamp out sin, and especially the sin that has entered the church through this person? No, neither of those. When we enter into conflict, those things matter. We should hate sin. And you never forget about what that person has done to you. That's important. But that's not the center, the central consciousness of who we are when we engage in conflict. What does Jesus suggest? To answer that, you've got to go to the parable that immediately follows our passage, which is connected to this teaching and really important for understanding confrontation. What parable is that? It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of the unmerciful servant is a great example of confrontation done badly. A servant owes an enormous debt to his master, the king. Hundreds of millions of dollars, it would take him lifetimes to pay it off. And he goes to the king and falls to his knees and says, please forgive me the debt because his, his wife and his children and himself are all going to be put in slavery. And the king, in his great mercy, forgives him that debt and sets him free. Well, that servant walks out of the palace and who should he run into but a fellow servant who owes him a significant debt, a couple thousand dollars. And immediately that servant goes into outrage mode. He grabs him by the throat, that's what it says, and he demands payment right now. And that other servant, of course, falls to his knees and says, please give me time, have mercy. But this time, the unmerciful servant gives no mercy and has him thrown in jail. The king hears what the first servant did, throws him in jail for the rest of his life. What did the unmerciful servant do wrong in his confrontation? I think that he had the wrong sense of himself, the wrong sense of himself in the middle of that confrontation. What's at the center of his mind when he confronts his fellow servant? That person's terrible sin and his own outrage, his own sense as an aggrieved victim. What would Jesus have him see at the center of his conflict? Jesus would have him see himself as a forgiven sinner, someone who had an immeasurable debt that was paid for by an immeasurable grace. In our confrontations with each other, we don't forget about injustice. We don't forget about the thing that that person did to us. But that's not the center of what drives us. That's not the center of our person in the moment of confrontation. We make our confrontations in the shadow of the cross with a deep sense that we too are offenders, we too are perpetrators who've been forgiven by the amazing grace of Jesus at enormous, enormous cost. And this reminds us that though Jesus practiced confrontation and though that confrontation could be sharp, in the end, he was willing to die for all the people he confronted. And so the cross is the center of our confrontation. It's the foundation, it's the aim, it's the center of who we are. The cross is the foundation of our confrontation because in the cross we are a family. The cross is the aim of our confrontation because 
It is the power of the cross that will make us all one in the end. And the cross is the center of our person because we know ourselves as forgiven sinners. And one more thing, the cross reminds us that all our confrontation and all our practices are not what creates this community. That community has already been created and won through Jesus' sacrifice. And our confrontation only reveals what Jesus has already done for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, let us walk each day in the shadow of your cross. And walking in that shadow, may we know ourselves as deeply loved and much forgiven. And and may that cross and that forgiveness give us the courage to confront each other and to do it as you would have us do, full of love, full of joy, and full of hope. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.